This year, CODA won three Oscars, including the Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. CODA stands for Children of Deaf Adults, and it takes us into the world of the close-knit Rossi family. They live in a fishing town on the Massachusetts coast where money is tight. Finding a way to make ends meet is even harder as a deaf family, so they rely on the only hearing person in their family, their daughter Ruby, to help them with almost everything. Ruby feels the weight of protecting her brother and parents while also discovering her love of singing. We revisit our conversation with Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer about authentic representation of deaf culture in Hollywood and why CODA breaks barriers. They play parents in the movie. Their interpreters were Jack Jason and Justin Moorer. A transcript is available on our website, the1a.org. I'm Sarah McCammon, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to have your questions answered on future topics or just to let us know what you think. Tweet us at 1A. The movie Coda immerses us into the world of the close-knit Rossi family. Jackie and Frank Rossi are happily married with one adult son and a daughter about to graduate from high school. But money is tight in the coastal Massachusetts fishing town where they live, and finding a way to make ends meet is even harder for them as a deaf family. So they rely on the only hearing person in their family, their daughter Ruby, played by Amelia Jones. She interprets for the family for just about everything, including an awkward doctor's appointment that involves her parents' sex life. Ruby feels the weight of protecting her brother and parents while also discovering a love for singing that her parents will never be able to hear. The film is directed by Sean Hader and is available on Apple TV. Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer play Jackie and Frank Rossi, and they both join us now. Welcome to the program. There. Hi there. Thank you. And we should also say Jack Jason is interpreting for Marley, and Justin Maurer is Troy's interpreter. They also join us. And to allow for the natural pace of American Sign Language interpretation, some answers may have a slight delay in response, maybe around five seconds. Troy, I, I first want to just say congratulations. Uh, your role in this film was recently nominated for a SAG Award in the Supporting Actor category. It's not only your first nomination, but it's the first time a deaf man has received a SAG nomination. How did you think this film would be received when you first got the role? Well, of course, I felt extremely honored and to be recognized by all of these various nominations because I feel like all of these members of SAG are like a family because all of us are artists, all of us are talented, and now I finally feel like I'm a peer. And so it, I'm, it doesn't matter that they look at me as an actor, I just happen to be deaf, and, and I am an actor, so I'm so honored to be included among them, and it's really a blessing. What drew you to the role, Troy? When I first read the script, there were several things that draw me to that drew me to it. And so, first of all, I saw that it was a working class deaf family that was struggling and working hard, which was really a universal experience. And second, I was thrilled to see vulgar sign language in the script. It's not quite often we're able to show this on screen, and so I felt like Hollywood was finally ready to see it. And I'm so glad that it that everything happened. And so there was one deaf character, and then there was Marley's character and Daniel's character. So we had that language, and you don't often see ASL on screen with an ensemble, and we haven't seen that for such a long time. 
And you mentioned Daniel Durant, who plays Leo Rossi, your son, in the film. Marley, for you, what drew you to the character of Jackie Rossi, the, mo- the mom in this film? Well, it was an opportunity when I first read the script, knowing that this was something that I'd been waiting for for a long time. As Troy just mentioned, there were three deaf characters carrying the film. They were there, the ent- they just went there as background actors or just uh, one scene appearances. And the story itself was so authentic. The fact that uh, this was just one of many, many stories that needed to be told uh, that took place in the deaf community uh, and uh, throughout the world. And I think that CODA really highlights that. People weren't aware before CODA that there were people called children of deaf adults, CODAs. And again, it's just one of many stories. And I just was so attracted to the script and it was so creative and it was great to see it finally turn on uh, to be real on the screen. My character was something that I'd never played before in the 35 years that I've had this career. It was challenging. Uh, For example, I never played a character without hearing aids. I typically have been playing characters with hearing aids, but in this sense, uh, in this instance, I took off my hearing aids because that's what Jackie was. And I signed in pure ASL uh, because I signed more in an English word structure as Marley, uh, but Jackie is completely different. So there were a lot of things, a lot of factors in this character, in the script that really wanted me to just jump right in and and have an opportunity to to put on the screen. And obviously uh, the fact that I got to work with Troy and with Sean and Amelia and Daniel and Eugenio was just a blessing. It was just a great honor, really. One big happy family. Well, you mentioned something there, Marley, that you signed in pure ASL. And and explain a little bit more about what you mean. So uh, American Sign Language is a language that is... Uh, is not comp- is not like English whatsoever. It's it's a separate language. Um, whereas uh, if you're writing English, I mean, I I probably would sign in English word order that's written. And ASL works in a different manner. It has a different structure. It's visually based. Uh, and so I, I, I it was a challenge for me. It was really a challenge. I really relied on uh, help from Troy and for my co-stars, as well as our director of ASL, um, the, they're called Dazzles, uh, or ASL Masters sometime, Alexandria Wales and, and Tomasetti. And we worked together as a group to create the dialogue in the film and uh, to make sure that I signed authentically. It was a challenge for me, but it was fun. So Jackie and Frank have this wonderful, passionate relationship. And it was a joy to watch on screen uh, Troy, how did you and Marley go about building the chemistry that we get to experience as an audience? When I was younger, I was in high school, and I saw Marley in the film Children of a Lesser God, and then she won an Oscar. And so I always looked up to Marley, and I paid attention to her journey in TV and film ever since. And I happened to be involved at Deaf West Theater, and she came to see a few of my shows, and she came up and said, hey, Troy, I'm a fan of yours. I always enjoy seeing you on stage. And so we got to know each other a bit. And when we worked together, I felt like the trust was there, and we knew how to work together as artists, and we were able to bring our best performance forward for this film. And we just really hit it off. It felt like home. It felt like a place where we could be comfortable and chat in our natural language of ASL. It was freeing. We understood each other and we just went for it. And I'm so glad that it turned out that way. 
it was Marley is such a fun person to work with, and it was a pleasure working with her. You know, for the longest time, I've been a fan of Troy's. I mean, really, for the longest time. And I would see each and every one of his performances on stage, and I, I would never uh, miss one. And after I had seen two or three or four, I'd always go up to him and say, I love your work. I love your work. I really admire your work. Until eventually, I just, you know, I would say, you know, you know how I feel, basically. I mean, I've said this so many times already. But yet, this has always been a dream of mine. It's always been one of my bucket list items that I wanted to check off. And now uh, the fact that we're working together as artists, as actors, uh, just like anyone else who's hearing, um, and we trust each other. And it was really something that we really jumped into, improvised. Uh, but yeah, the trust out there was 110%. And so I hope that we get another opportunity to work together again and again and again and again. I completely agree. As we said earlier, this film is built around a family. And the dynamics in the family are a bit complicated. You have Ruby, who often serves, serves as the interpreter for the family. But then there's also Leo, who is the adult son in the family, who's also deaf. And there's tension there because he feels like his parents don't trust him. And there's this push and pull between Leo and Ruby and between the parents and Ruby. Talk about what it took as a cast to come together and create an on-screen portrayal of a family that reads so realistically and probably feels familiar to a lot of people. Marley, I'll come to you first. Well, Troy and I, I think, and I can speak for Troy as well. Um, if you want to jump in, Troy, please do. But we both have hearing kids as well. So we have a little bit of experience with CODAs. We know uh, the situation very well, how it is that CODAs typically are raised. I'm a mom of four. And my kids, though they have different interests, um, and though I respect them and their dreams and their desires and their accomplishments, whatever it is that they decide to do is different than Jackie's character and the way that Frank treat Ruby, because in their situation, they re rely on her as an interpreter and have done so all their life and actually didn't think anything of it. They were just used to doing that, relying on her as an interpreter. But then one day when she brings up the idea that she wants to be a singer, then of course that throws them for a loop. And Leo, I mean, clearly he felt that he was in his own world. He had the same language as his parents. They identified together. So we knew that he would have his own path. However, he works for his father. And Ruby, on the other hand, makes the change, which throws the family for a loop. It's not something that is familiar to the family. It's not something that they're, they're interested in, which is music. So all the dynamics, this, the, the family relationships, um, that we faced and that we were able to solve was I mean, we, we worked together as actors to resolve them in this, in, as characters. I want to dig a little deeper into the relationship between Jackie and her daughter, Ruby. When Ruby first tells her mom that she wants to sing, Jackie says to her daughter through ASL, quote, if I was blind, would you paint? And it, it it's this sort of gut punch. <laughs> and but it also, I think, highlights that tension between parents and children of children trying to find their identity separate from their family. And Marley, there's, you know, you're an actor in this, but you're also a mom. How deeply did that resonate with you? 
it really, really hit me very hard. I mean, when I read the script and I said, okay, well, let's see what happens on the day that we shoot the scene in the kitchen. And that day came and I was a bit hesitant because I really wasn't quite sure how to approach it as an actor. Also being a mother in real life, knowing what I would say to my daughter. So I had to really delve into Jackie's frame of mind, trying to understand what she was thinking, what, what, uh, what she was dealing with, something that she wasn't familiar with, and how would Jackie feel? What was it that led her to say what she said? So naturally, uh, I had the lines on the script and I said, okay, oh, you want to be a singer? So if we were blind, would you want to be a painter? And I, I struggled with that as an actor. And yet I knew that I had to put Marley aside, focus on what Jackie was thinking, where Jackie was coming from, and I don't think that Jackie really intended any harm. I didn't think it was her intention to, to hurt her daughter with her words. It was just her truth. She was trying to be very transparent and to the point where she said, look, I mean, I can't enjoy it if you are going to be a singer because it's not the same or it's not something that I can identify with. It's not fair for me as someone who is deaf. I can't enjoy it. So that's why that's why, I, I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes in the film is when she's auditioning for the Berklee School of Music. And I watch her on screen singing and we're all in the family in the balcony watching. And I could see that as she's singing, just before she starts to sign, she starts to move her hands. And then that's the moment that strikes Jackie that, oh, finally, I can get involved in her life. I can be with her on her journey. Her hands are her ears or my ears or whatever you want, the way you want to put it. So it was brilliantly put together the way that Sean put the script together like that. So I'm glad that she created that arc and she wrote it that way. It was allowing Jackie to eventually and finally enjoy the path that Ruby, her daughter, was going on. The fact that she wanted to be a singer and she was there at the end as her advocate. Now, Troy, unlike his wife, Frank Rossi seems to be a bit more open to his daughter's love of singing. And there's this incredibly intimate scene when he places his hands on his daughter's neck to feel the vibrations of her singing after her first recital. Like the sweet morning dew I took one look at you And it was plain to see you were my destiny With my arms open wide I threw away my pride I'll sacrifice for you Dedicate my life to you I'm curious what you wanted to explore as an actor about the father-daughter relationship between Frank and Ruby. When I analyzed it personally, what really helped Frank and a lot of this thought process went through watching Ruby sing at her recital at her high school. And so there was, and watching others' reactions, the hearing parents' reactions to the recital. And so if folks were sleeping or looking at their phones or distracted, it meant that the singing wasn't a high quality. But noticing the crying and the emotional reactions, that showed me that I was missing something. And so the next scene where Frank arrives at home with his family, he wants to 
look into her world and truly understand her passion with singing. And so I remember our director, Sean, asking me, you need to find where in her vocal cords the, the vibration is coming out of. And so Amelia had to raise her voice to really, to really project to get me to feel it. So I had to understand what her world was like and in her passion of music. And so in that moment, I was trying to delve in and I didn't want to feel like taking something away from her life. So it was a challenge for Frank as a parent to decide what would be best for his daughter, Ruby. And it's, it's a, it's an important moment. We're discussing the new film, Coda. Remember to join future conversations. Download our 1A Fox Pop app and leave us a voicemail. We're discussing the new film, Coda. Troy, there's a great scene when both parents are picking Ruby up from school and they're blaring rap music on the radio. Ruby is mortified (laughs) when she tells her dad to turn it down. He responds in sign language that he, quote, loves the way it makes his ass vibrate. How would you describe Frank's relationship with, with music in the film? Frank was really looking for something loud to feel the vibrations. A lot of deaf people love drums because they can feel the bass and it feels like a back massage when you really crank the bass up. So, you know, as a character, I didn't care what type of music it was. I just wanted to turn it up to 11 and feel good and just have that feeling in my ass. And what type of music might that be? It didn't really matter. I just wanted to feel good. So it just so happened that I do turn up loud music sometimes and it might be a commercial and, but I'm feeling it, the commercial. And I don't even realize that they're just talking so loud in this particular commercial on the radio. So I have to jump in. I have to jump in. They came over to my house and I was staying at a, they came over for dinner one night and I knew that he was coming because I could, I mean, we had a long driveway and I could hear that music, even with my hearing aids (laughs) down the driveway so loud. And Jack happened to be there and he said, you know what? It's a commercial they're listening to. It's a commercial they're listening to. They're not listening to music. But you get you get pleasure out of that, Troy. There's something in that vibration that that speaks to you. We all we feel music. We do. We I mean, you use music, don't you, Troy? I mean, do do you find music? In my everyday life, it really depends on looking for that bassy type feeling. And so if it's some real wild music like heavy metal and that kind of thing, wow, you really feel it. I love Billy Joel. I mean, it's music. I, it, it, I'm always listening to it in my car uh, because I can play it all the time. I listen to it. Another theme in the film really focuses around this idea of community and, and what it means to be part of a community. The family has their own sort of closed community. It's just the four of them. But you see this tension as the film builds where where the son is really pushing against that boundary and really trying to get the family to say, hey, look, the rest of the community has to learn how to work with us. It's not just our responsibility. Marley, talk a little bit more about that, how, how that plays out in the film. Well, I mean, Sean decided to create a, a, a family that came from a very small town uh, that just happened to 
live in a fishing village uh, based on Gloucester, Massachusetts. And they just so happened that they decided to keep to themselves because really, uh, in all honesty, um, they were content with their life. They were content with their home. They were content with their fishing business and making money and, and making ends meet, knowing that there was obviously a bigger community out there. Clearly they knew, but at the same time, they just decided to keep to themselves. It was the simple life that they were seeking. Um, but Daniel or, or Leo's uh, decided at some point that, yes, he was working for his father, but at the same time, th things were changing. He was growing up, uh, times were changing, and he wanted to create a greater independence for the family, and that in included the community. So it's just a generational thing that I think Frank and Jackie came from an older generation. They liked the way that their lives were uh, in this small town, and, and that's what happens. Well, watching Ruby interpret for her parents and brother made me think about how special a relationship can be between an interpreter and a deaf person. Marley, you've been working with your interpreter for more than 30 years. How would you describe the trust and connection that goes into that relationship? I mean, I'm fortunate to have Jack for 35 years, really. Uh, very fortunate. Um, because he knows how I work. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows uh, more than most people would know me. So it's just a matter of having a good working relationship with the person who's your interpreter. A lot of times, yes, there, there has to absolutely be trust. I mean, that built over this time, but sometimes, and actually I'm, I'll be lying all the time, I'm watching him interpret and I lip read very well. So I make sure that what I'm saying is coming out in Jack's mouth, but uh, there is certainly a trust there in terms of how and what words he chooses to use for the signs that I use. But we have a good working relationship and I'm very fortunate. There are other interpreters that I've also used, but not as often as I would use Jack. As well as um, um, Jack works uh, on a separate level as my development person and a production company. So I have a good arrangement here. Knock on wood. <laughs> Troy, what about for you? How would you describe that relationship? That's a great question. But very interesting because I'm sort of a newbie here, but Marley's very experienced. And so it's important to understand your way of thinking and the way that you use language and build that trust. So for me, this is a very new experience in the spotlight in this way. And I've used several different interpreters and how I know if it went well is reading the transcript of the interview and following and seeing if it's exactly what I said. And if I say, Oh, I didn't say that. So the interpreter made a mistake. And so I might consider switching out that interpreter and not using them in the future. I might ask others their opinion. How does this interpreter sound? And they might say, Oh, his voice sounds very comfortable or is the voice monotone? And I try and get feedback from my peers and so there's several interpreters that I'm using and Justin and I have been working together for several months now and began to get to know each other and develop a relationship. And just what Marley described, you know, if other folks don't know me, you know, I can't hear what they're saying, but it's not my problem. But actually, it is my problem because I might read the transcript or the article or the TV interview or Zoom and see, ah, I didn't exactly say that. And so that's why trust is so important. Interpreting is not an easy job. I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't begin to interpret. I mean, I, I, I give a lot of props to interpreters who do the job. I mean, it's a very serious job. Sometimes 
I might use a sign and the interpreter might use this particular phrase. There might be two or three different options of what they could use. So that really depends on the situation and the intent. And so I feel that trust if I'm seeing them choose a word that that I feel would be the right translation or interpretation. And so it's really situational. If there's an interview, we can kind of prepare ahead of time. And so the interpreter might have the opportunity to see me on set and we might have the time to sit down or have a coffee and just chat and begin to get to know each other. And I can explain my personal journey and we can get to know each other that way. And that helps out with future situations. We're talking to Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer. Their interpreters are also with us, Jack Jason and Justin Maurer. And we're talking about the new film, Coda. Amelia Jones stars as Ruby Rossi. She's the daughter of Jackie Rossi and Frank Rossi, played by Mari Matlin and Troy Kotzer, respectively. Daniel Durant plays their son, Leo Rossi, in the film. Marley, this movie was originally a French film, but in that version, hearing actors played deaf people. What do you think gets lost when people with these actual experiences aren't included? Oh, first of all, I, I, I never saw the original French film, so I'm not quite clear as how it came out. I didn't get a chance to, to see it and know how they played the roles. At the same time, I think, uh, well, I have to explain that when I first got the script, and they said to me, you know, you should watch the French film. I said, no, I don't really have an interest in seeing what has been done um, because I didn't want it to affect my performance as an actor. So I focused on my own development, my own creation of Jackie. I didn't need to watch somebody else's performance of the character to research that. At the same time, yes, I mean, listen, uh, it's been happening uh, for 35 years and uh, that deaf actors out there um, even though, despite the fact there were deaf writers and directors, and I mean, the whole gamut of, of occupations, for the longest time, we've had to sit back and see uh, characters who are deaf being played by hearing people. And in fact, also the fact that deaf characters weren't carrying films. Um, but it, it, I think when we see hearing actors playing deaf people, we think about things like lack of authenticity. Uh, the fact that they aren't, I mean, clearly they aren't going to do it the same way that a deaf character does it. You can't fake a deaf person. You can't act a deaf person. So when I heard that they were considering a hearing actor for Frank Rossi, I stopped right there and I said, look, this is, and this is actually the first time I've ever said this to actually speak out. I said, if you're going to put a hearing actor in the role, I'm out. Uh, it's been too long in coming. It's been too long that hearing actors have played deaf actors and it just, it's not art, it's not authentic. And so I'm glad that Sean Hader, uh, we both supported each other in our cause to get a deaf actor to play the role. And we weren't there to put down the studio, but we were there to help them understand that it just wasn't the right decision. So they eventually, uh, I mean, the film became an independent film and we eventually had the conversation. We spoke, we, uh, I mean, hopefully CODA, has now opened everyone's eyes to understand how important authenticity is to, to the people who make things happen and get it. And hopefully we'll hire uh, actors authentically in the future. Troy, uh, what doors do you hope this film opens for, for you, for other deaf actors who are making the same argument that for these roles to be played authentically, you, you need to have people who have actually lived this experience? 
hope is that our film Coda is a big step forward for Hollywood to begin to open its mind and begin to think outside of the box and begin to focus more on diversity because diverse and marginalized groups have their own stories to tell. And so our producers and Marley and Sean, they fought to bring this authenticity to the screen. And if not for them, I wouldn't be here today. So it's been truly an amazing journey for me. And I feel like this is finally an earthquake, a thunderbolt to Hollywood to wake them up. And so it's, it's really up to them now, but I've, I've seen them be described through one word, which is fear. They've been afraid to try something new and now they need to add less to that phrase and become fearless. I hear two things in what Troy just said. And one is about who plays the role, but it's also about the types of stories that get told. And Marley, I'm curious, you know, what stories do you hope get told by Hollywood that right now aren't really present when we look at film? I would hope, I mean, listen, there's a million stories out there that need to be told, whether they are factual or they're fictional. So I think it's important to understand that, first of all. I mean, put, put it this way, anybody who saw any film without deaf characters in it, Think now, let's put a deaf actor into the story. If you're talking about a boxer, you're talking about a drug addict, you're talking about a comedy, you're talking about a drama, whatever it is. There's so many opportunities and so many stories for us to be able to jump into a film, play the character. So, I, I mean, I, I, shouldn't be, I shouldn't be begging for work. You know, I, I shouldn't have to hustle for work and create... And make it more difficult for myself because it shouldn't be that way. The opportunities should be the same for deaf actors as they are for hearing actors when it comes to roles, when it comes to auditioning for roles. I always, whenever I get a script for my agent, I look at it and I think, oh, they think of me. And so then I ask the producer, can we just do this and change this into a deaf character? And a lot of times they'll, they're open to it or they'll say, oh, sure, let's jump right into it and change the character to make them deaf. Um, I think it's this question of diversity and we're talking about diversity in Hollywood. Yes, they'll talk about diversity, but they never seem to include deafness and disability in the diversity discussion. And I'm looking forward to changing that conversation to really working, collaborating with writers, with directors and saying, look, it does work. Just change it. Trust us, we can make it work. And I know that not every script it's going to work for every script. I know that. But there's more than what's out there right now. Obviously, it should work. Marley, Troy, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Have fun. I've had fun talking to you. Likewise. Thank you. And thank you to our interpreters. Today's producer was Sophia Alvarez-Boyd. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk more soon. This is 1A.